all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Tuning in today, you're listening to Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today is kicking off National Nutrition Month. So March is designated as National Nutrition Month every year, and this just happens, this week happens to coincide with um, National Registered Dietitian Week. So I've had the um, privilege of having lots of great dietitians on the radio with me here, and you can look for the, those past episodes in our archives or on our podcast um, by searching for Southern Remedy wherever you get your podcast. But today we're going to be talking about how practical strategies for adding more plants to your diet. We touched on it a little bit last week, and I want to carry that over in into our discussion today about why we need to add more plants to the way that we eat and how we can do that. If you have a question or a comment for us, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. Or you can always email us, fit at mpbonline.org. So if you're a regular listener to the show, you know that we talk a lot about nutrition on this show because it is so foundational to um, our overall health, whether that be trying to um, achieve a healthy weight or maintain a healthy weight, whether that be being used as a treatment strategy for a chronic medical condition like high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, or whether it be using being used as a prevention strategy to just kind of maintain our overall health and wellness. What we put in our body is really the single greatest factor attributing to our, to our health. And so, we have a, a variety of competing messages that come out in the media about what to eat and when to eat and how to eat it, but it really all boils down into to balance. And a lot of times you'll hear the word everything in moderation, which I, I don't love that phrase um, because it, it really can be very misleading for folks um, when it's applied to single meals and not to the totality of an eating pattern. And so I really like to focus on the word balance more than moderation and focusing on the fact that there are not bad foods and good foods, but foods we need to eat more of and foods we need to eat less of 
and, and balancing that plate out that way by picking more of the ones we need to eat more of and less of the ones we need to eat less of. So when we're looking at that and we're looking at the whole um, realm of why we adopt an eating pattern, there are a variety of reasons why we choose what we choose, right? A lot of it is what we're familiar with. Some of it is our access to and the cost of things. That's a, that's a big one. Um, some of it's you know, not knowing how to prepare different things. Taste and flavor, of course, is another, as well as wanting to pick things that are good for our overall health. So when we are trying to balance that out, choosing more foods from plants, it, it takes off a lot of those, um, a lot of those boxes in the fact that Plant-based foods are, are usually cheaper. Now, I do not mean processed plant products like our um, um, imitation meats um, and, you know, um, vegan cheeses and, and those kinds of things. Those are pricey, right? But those also shouldn't be the kind of the foundation of our eating pattern either. And when we're talking about unmessed with plant foods and talking things like beans and fruits and veggies and whole grains. And those are usually can be purchased in bulk and are shelf stable for a while and are cheaper. And so those can be a mainstay of how we, how we build our way of eating, not only to help our pocketbook, but to also help our overall health and wellness. So last week we talked about uh, my five kind of tips or healthy habits to help with heart health. And the last one that we talked about was eating a plant-predominant um, diet. And we talked about the fact that a plant-predominant diet does not mean vegetarian, does not mean vegan. Um, and those two terms are often confusing for folks as well And what is vegetarian and what is vegan. Vegetarian is usually the absence of any type of flesh product. So any type of, you know, fish or meat or um, the broth from um, meat products, that kind of stuff, but usually still incorporates dairy or eggs, depending on um, the way that that particular vegetarian is eating. And then a vegan diet is usually the absence of all animal products, so no dairy, no eggs, um, and no no meat, poultry, fish, those types of things. And there's a variety of, like a continuum uh, as to what people choose uh, on those ways of, of eating. But neither one of them necessarily denotes health, right? They can, uh, a vegetarian way of eating, while it does have more plants, it could be very, very heavy in um, cheese and butter and those types of things, which if weight loss is our goal, may not be getting us there. The same with a vegan diet is there are lots of vegan junk foods uh, out there. Um, I've used the example about Oreos on the show before, and I'm not attacking Oreos, um, but they are not a health food, but they are considered vegan. So when I'm talking about a plant-predominant way of eating, I'm not talking about vegan or vegetarian. I'm just talking about more plants, right? And we talked last week about making 75% of our plate plant-based foods. And that other quarter of the plate could be something like a meat or a dairy product there. 
But again, there are kind of grades of how we want to do that and things we want to add on to our plate. I usually talk with my patients about um, one animal at a time. That's kind of my little catchphrase in clinic that I give out. Um, And it really has to do with, again, balancing out that plate. When we look at your plate, I like to kind of mentally divide it in half. And then that other half, divide it into another half. So you've got two quarters of a plate and half of a plate, right? And I like to think about the big half of that plate like the trunk of a car. You can put as much stuff in the trunk of a car as you can get in there and sometimes even leave it propped open. That's what I like to think about in terms of fruits and vegetables. The other two, the quarter of the plate sections that we have left, One of those is for your starchier items or your grains, and the other is for your protein. And that could be a plant-based protein, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a little bit, or an animal-based protein. And I like to think about those two sections of the plate like car seats. You would not buckle more than one kid into a car seat. So once we already have a food in that particular area, adding another one, Um, of that same food type is not going to give us anything of nutritional value. It's just going to increase our calories as well as probably our our fats and cholesterol if we're choosing animal-based products. So a classic example of that is looking at a breakfast plate, right? Um, Breakfast is very uh, common, something like eggs, bacon, toast, grits. Okay, that's a pretty common breakfast here in the South. But when we look at it, um, the grits and the toast both would fall in that starchy category or that grain category. And so we already have something buckled in there. So it's not about completely eliminating grits or completely eliminating toast, but about choosing one of those at this particular meal. The same goes with the eggs and the bacon. They are both a protein. And so having both of them does not really add anything from a nutrition standpoint to that meal. It's just going to add sodium and saturated fat and cholesterol. So when I talk about balance, I'm not necessarily saying no egg or no bacon, but If we're going to have one of those, then just have one, so the egg or the bacon. And so if we then look at that plate, you go, well, I'm going to be hungry, right? And that's what a lot of people tell me. Uh, And that's also why we tend to think about diets in terms of restriction and being hungry and just kind of having to suffer through it. But we haven't put anything in the trunk, right? We've still got a whole half a plate sitting over there that needs to be, be filled up. And that is from fruits and vegetables. So what I encourage you to do is think about how you can add that to that particular meal, right? Maybe you add in a handful of spinach while you into your scrambled eggs, right, and have a serving of uh, fruit as well, like some berries. That's a really good one to add in. And now we're able to fill up our plate with things that are very low in calorie but full of fiber and antioxidants and vitamins and minerals while still having the things that we enjoy and the things that we that we like. So that's what I mean by 
satisfied balance and not and, and not moderation, but choosing foods with some intentionality to make sure that we're kind of getting the biggest bang for our buck at mealtime. I'm Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, is a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family. To find out what we're all about, subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today we're celebrating the start of National Nutrition Month, and we're highlighting the humble plant and why we need to be adding more plant-based foods into our diet. If you have a question about that, or if you have a tip for getting in more fruits and veggies and grains into your diet, I'd love to hear it. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email me, fit at mpbonline.org. I love when y'all send me recipes to try out through there as well. Um, I like to get in the kitchen and experiment. Um, So I'd love to hear your tips, but also if there's a particular kind of barrier that's keeping you from having more plant-based foods in in, in your diet, I'd love to talk through some of those today as well so that we can hopefully uh, come up with a plan to, to tackle that barrier there. So we've we spent a lot of time talking about plant-based diets and how they relate to heart health and diabetes and those types of things. Um, you know, we've talked about the fact that low fruits and vegetable consumption is a, a risk factor for heart attacks. Um, we've talked about the fact that they're uh, uh, lower in calorie and higher in fiber. But we haven't spent a lot of time talking about the gut microbiome, and it's you know a topic that's bigger than just one segment on the show, but I do want to touch on it because I feel like it's a buzzword out there when you hear the word gut microbiome and what the heck does it actually mean and how do we get and support a healthy microbiome and why is it important, right? So when we talk about the microbiome of the body, that is just kind of the the natural colonization of different parts of the body with bacteria, right, or uh, yeast and, you know, those types of things. So each part of our body kind of has a different set of microbes that just live there, right? Like our skin, regardless of how good we wash our hands and those types of things, our skin has bacteria on it, right? Um Depending on which other part of the body we look at, there are different sets of bacteria there. There are you know, vaginal flora. There are things that are in your mouth, which tend to, to kind of start talking about the gut um, microbiome. 
But when I talk about the true gut microbiome, I'm talking about what is in our in our intestines. So you've got some in your stomach, small intestine, large intestine, um, and we're talking about the microbes that live there. And each person has trillions of microbes uh, in in their gut. And what is so remarkable about this is that two different people that are both considered healthy can have different sets or different types of, of microbes in their gut, in their GI system. Um, and some of that has to do with geography, where we live, right? Some of it has to do with our age. Um, babies and, and newborns have kind of a, a, a beginner set, so to speak, of microbes that they then get, they cultivate as they get older based off of where they live and what they're exposed to and the types of food that they eat. Other things like stress, um, either from a psychological standpoint or a physical stress, can impact the microbes that we have there. Um, really intense, prolonged exercise can also uh, impact the microbes that we have. Uh, and things like antibiotics uh, also uh, can, can drastically alter the, the um, microbes that we have in our gut. But since it's National Nutrition Month, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about how what we eat impacts the bacteria that we have there and the yeast, the, all the microbes that we have there, and why it's important, right? So... Our kind of gut microbiome is is there to break down some of the foods that we eat. And we can either release kind of good for us things and things that decrease inflammation in the gut or things that are a little bit more inflammatory or that can increase our risk for heart diseases and cancers and those kinds of things. And the type of microbes that we have there is what determines a lot of those things. And so when we look at somebody who eats a plant-predominant diet versus someone who eats a more animal-based diet or a more Western-based diet, they tend to have different proportions of different microbes um, going on in their gut. And those um, that are more on the plant-based way of eating or plant-predominant way of eating actually um, make more short-chain fatty acids. And the deal behind those is they help... Um, decrease our risk for certain cancers. They also help decrease our risk for heart attacks, and they help decrease kind of the overgrowth of the not-so-great um, bacteria that can get in our gut and cause things like chronic bloating, um, irritable bowel, and those kinds of things. So it's really important that we, we think about how we nourish our microbes that are in our gut. And so we, the buzzwords that are out there are things like probiotics and, you know, should I be taking a probiotic? Well, you also need to think about the prebiotics, right? So taking a probiotic is kind of giving yourself a dose of those good for us microbes. But we got to give them something to munch on in our gut to keep them happy and help them continue to grow because the, the, the microbes in our gut adjust themselves based off of what we are giving it in terms of food. And so if we don't give it the things that it needs to flourish, the probiotic that we take is going to, to not last and not get kind of the full bang, 
So what do they like to eat? They like to eat fiber, right? They like to, to work on things that are uh, full of fiber. That's what a prebiotic is. And so looking at things like fruits, veggies, whole grains, beans, nuts, and seeds, those types of things help us get a bigger proportion of those good for us bacteria and a little bit less of the, the not as great for us there. So when, it, when we, again, when we think back to how we do that practically, there are a variety of strategies that you can employ to do that, but it all starts with thinking about why maybe you're interested in eating more plants. I hope we've, we've done a good job on this show of telling you why it's important in general, but importance in general doesn't necessarily mean importance to an individual person. So really stopping and, and thinking about what adding more plants to your diet might do for you in terms of whatever uh, it is that you want to see for your health. Right? Maybe you have high blood pressure and you want to come off of blood pressure medicines or just get better control of your blood pressure. Maybe you have high cholesterol and you're wanting to avoid a medication, although if you have to take a medication, that is okay too, but we want to help those medicines work to the best of their abilities. Maybe it's trying to get, um, you know, to, to lose weight or maintain um, a certain weight adding those plants in is a really viable strategy to be able to do that. But you have to make it real and important for you, not just because I say that plants need to be added to, to your diet. So once you kind of have your reason why, then really have a really good step back and say, what am I currently doing? When I work with patients in lifestyle medicine clinics, and I ask, how many servings of fruit do you have a day? And how many servings of vegetables do you have a day? People usually tell me that they have several of each, right? But then when I do a more in-depth recall, like where I have folks maybe do a three to seven day food journal so that I can see what they're eating, those servings just really aren't there. And that's not uncommon. That is... Um, kind of reporter bias because it's what one we because we like fruits and vegetables we tend to most most folks like some fruits and vegetables tend to over report what you consume and it's also what you think you're supposed to say right kind of social acceptability bias and so you overestimate what you actually eat in things like fruits and vegetables but when we really kind of get down to what you're actually putting in your body on a day-to-day -day basis, it's just not there. And so being honest with yourself is kind of the next step, the next practical step in going most days of the week, how much fruit do I actually get in? And most days of the week, how many vegetables or how many servings of vegetables do I get in on a, on a daily basis? Um, and a lot of times it's it's none. And that can be kind of shocking to, to take in and think about, but it's really, really important because it's going to dictate the goals that you should write for yourself, right? When we think about how much fruit and veg we're supposed to be eating, right, it's a lot. You know, I mean, there's the kind of pick five uh, marketing campaign that was out, you know, shooting for five fruits and vegetables a day. Um, you can also go with, 
kind of an amount, you know, like three cups of veggies, two cups of fruits, those kinds of things. But if you're currently eating none or one, then going, well, you know, I'm going to get five fruits and vegetables a day. That's a big jump. And you may do it for a couple of days you and then kind of burn out on that maybe because you get uh, overwhelmed with you know all the different types of fruits and vegetables that are out there or you go gosh this takes too much work it's usually because we're trying to be a little bit a little bit fancier than we need to be when we do things um, but if you're eating none then just focus on one right how do I get one serving of fruit in on most days of the week right how do I get one vegetable serving in on most days of the week? And, and, and it's going to look different for everyone, right? You know, I grew up in a very rural part of the state. There was not a grocery store super close to us. It was about 30 minutes or so um, to get to the grocery store. Whereas now, you know, I live within five minutes of, a couple of different places that I can purchase um, fruits and vegetables. So kind of knowing what your barriers are and planning ahead is really kind of how you can practically add these in to your way of eating instead of just buying all the things, which I see people do a lot, and then wasting a lot of things there as well. I'm Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC, and we're talking about plant-predominant diets today and some practical strategies for getting more of those into your way of eating. If you have a question or a comment for us, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring And we do have a caller on the line, so we'll say good morning to David from Horn Lake i got two quick questions for you. Is there any sure. difference nutritional-wise between frozen uh, um, frozen, canned and, and fresh vegetables? And my second quick question is, is milk flaxseed, would that be a good way to uh, uh, beef up like something like a commercial brownie mix to increase fiber and nutritional uh, value of snacks for my kids and grandkids? Well, those are two excellent questions, and I've got some answers for both of them. So nutritionally speaking, 
sometimes our frozen produce is going to have more vitamins and minerals in it than, let's say, a fresh product does, especially if it's an out-of-season product. Um, you know, so sometimes, uh, you know, when berries are not in season, it makes more sense to buy the frozen varieties of those kinds of things. Um, what we want to be careful of in a canned product or a frozen product is that it's not packed in syrup, right? Because then it's just added sugar that has been kind of heaped on to the to the fruit or veggie uh, and kept it from having its you know kind of full bang of, of nutrition. So, you know, looking if it's a canned item, look for it packed in water or packed in its own juice, not syrup. And I usually tell folks to, to drain that and rinse it. Now, sometimes, especially if you're shopping at, you know, a, a, a dollar store or something like that, the only fruit, canned fruit they have available is packed in syrup. So, again, drain it and rinse it real good there. Um, for your veggies that are frozen or that are canned, um, again, look for any sauces that they might be in. Um, the, those are usually going to have a lot of salt added to them. And so try and get just, you know, the, the plain broccoli and not the broccoli and cheese. And then you can add a little bit of cheese of your own on top if, if your kids or grandkids or your husband or wife will only eat it uh, with some cheese on it there. Um, and same deal for your canned items. Look for the no salt added or the reduced sodium, um, but also buy what you can afford, right? You know, any veggie is going to be better than you know, a, a serving of French fries. And so, again, draining and rinsing those veggies removes about a quarter of the, the sodium in on top of those. Now, in terms of flax seeds, so flax seeds are a great source of um, omega-3 fatty acids, which are good for our heart health. Um, they also have some fiber um, in them as well. They do need to be ground if you're going to put them in things. If you just put whole flax seeds in there, they, they go through the gut undigested and, and don't you don't really get the benefit from them. But adding flax, ground flax seeds can be a great way to bump up the nutrition um, in, in your baked goods. You know, I am a completely plant-based baker, so flax seeds mixed with ground flax seeds mixed with a little bit of water um, make an excellent substitution for eggs in your baked goods. I so didn't know one, that. Yeah, one tablespoon of ground flax with three tablespoons of water, and you just kind of mix it in a little, you know, a little dish and let it sit for a couple minutes and it gets gloppy. Um, that replaces one egg. Um, in, in your baked items. So I add that all the time. It's also a good addition to um, oatmeal, to smoothies, that kind of thing. And you can also use chia seeds um, in, in kind of the same way there. So that's two great questions. I hope that answered them for you. Yeah, thank you so much. Have a good day. Absolutely. You have a good day as well. And we'll go right back to the phone lines and talk with Justin from Memphis. How can I help you? Hey, um, so I'm plant-based and have been since I was 12 years old. I'm 46 nice. now. Uh, and uh, love the diet. I pay attention to what I'm eating. I cut the salt. Um, my blood pressure is still not great. And I'm trying okay. to get to the bottom of it right now. Um, mm -hmm. Some of the things that I've read could be sleep apnea. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's kind of what I'm honing in on right now. But any other clues? I'm also overweight because um, I love vegetables so much. <laughs> I eat a lot of them. <laughs> I 
apparently. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm just just looking for um, for some information, some some things to maybe target to look for to ferret out what the issue with blood pressure may be. It's not you know necessarily what I'm eating um, and all that. Right. Absolutely. Great question. And so when we're looking at someone with high blood pressure, um, I like to look at kind of all areas of their lifestyle to see if there's anything in particular that I feel like could be contributing to it. And you mentioned sleep, and sleep is a big one, right? Because when we sleep, our kind of our blood vessels relax out, our blood pressure should go down, and our heart kind of gets, gets some chill time, so to speak. And when we don't sleep well for whatever reason, whether that be not sleeping a long enough duration or not good quality, and that can be, you know, waking up because of noise or it can be waking up from something like sleep apnea, then it does put extra strain on our heart and can make blood pressure higher than it needs to be. So whenever um, I have someone who is overweight and has high blood pressure, and especially if they snore, um, then I absolutely recommend that they talk with their healthcare provider about getting a sleep evaluation to see if we've got some kind of sleep disorder going on, like an obstructive sleep apnea. Um, the other thing, you know, you mentioned um, that you, you like vegetables a lot. Think about the way that you're preparing them, right? Are we adding extra saltier things to those that they're being prepared, or are we using a lot of packaged products? Um, to, to season those and to, and to cook those because about 75% of the salt or the sodium in our diet comes from a packaged product and not, you know, from, from anything else that we're adding to it, but starting with that package. Um, and then exercise as well. Um, you know, when we move more, then that helps to um, help our blood vessels dilate and lower our blood pressure there. And then also stress. You know, if we're dealing with chronic stress or anxiety or untreated anxiety, then that can keep our kind of baseline pressure a little bit higher than we need for it to be. Um, I'm hoping that you're under the care of a healthcare provider because there are some, you know, medical reasons why we would have high blood pressure. We always want to look at your kidney function, make sure it's doing well, um, and looking at your actual uh, kidneys. I've had all the okay. blood tests, actually a couple of times. Uh, everything is in the normal range. Good. I exercise every day. I'm on anxiety Good. medicine, and I just started on blood pressure medicine. So, uh, And I feel like when I sleep, I'm getting a good night's sleep. But mm -hmm. I have heard from a, a source very close to me that I snore. And <laughs> that's what kind of cued me in to this yeah. um, possible sleep apnea as a cause, because my understanding yeah. is that it, um, it uh, doesn't allow for absorption of vitamin D and B12, and my, my D was super low like, yeah. last time, and I've gotten on a, a mega dose of that. So I just... On a plant-based diet, yeah, and a plant-based diet, if you're strictly plants and, and no animal products whatsoever, should be on a yeah, vitamin D good. supplement um, and, a, and a B12 usually as well. Because um, those are the two okay. nutrients that are not that provide not not that great um, in a plant based diet. Um, so those are usually recommended. Um, and so it sounds like with your you know being a you know having a little extra weight, having some high blood pressure, and and somebody telling you that you're snoring, it absolutely warrants a sleep evaluation for that. Another thing that you can try in the meantime while you're waiting on that, um, do you sleep on your back or your side? 
Uh, well, I just read that <laughs> sleep on your side, but I sleep on my back. Um, <laughs> I, I, up until last night <laughs> when when my wife gets in, turn over on your left side. It's supposed to be better. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. That's correct. Okay. So I would recommend a wedge pillow. So it's okay. shaped like a piece of cheese with like a skinny end and then a fatter end. And so the skinny end is going to go underneath uh, kind of your mid-back so that you're on an incline. Because what happens with sleep apnea is kind of gravity is pressing on that airway. And a lot of times, you know, when we're, we start out on a pillow, we slide down off of it um, and it crumples our airway up a little bit, especially when we lay on our back. Um, so adding that wedge in there um, will elevate your airway, so to speak, and take some of that gravitational pressure off of that. You can order them off of Amazon. You can also get them at Walmart. They're about 20 to 30 bucks. Cool. And what about any of those mouth guards, anything worth a darn there? I would start with the pillow first and then get the formal sleep evaluation and let us see what we're dealing with uh, and okay. then go from there. Yep. Awesome been a big help. I appreciate it. I've got an appointment tomorrow, so that gives me some to my uh, provider about. I appreciate you. I'm Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio. Or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy Health and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC, and we've been talking about strategies for adding more plants into your diet today. And we've had some great callers that have given us a call. We are in the last segment of the show, so if you have a burning question, now's the time to give us a call. That number is one eight seven seven mpb ring So before the break, I mentioned that we were going to talk about beans and why, you know, why am I doing that? Why are we talking about beans? Because they are an excellent plant-based source of protein. So when we're looking for ways to eat more plants or kind of a a misconception about plant-based diets out there is that you will not get enough protein. And I know before I became a plant-based eater, I used to think the exact same thing. I even talked to my trainer who was was vegan and I was like, where do you get your protein, dude? And he was very patient with me and he was like, everywhere. And it's true that that it's not, we tend to think about protein just existing in in one particular thing uh, like meat, but there there's protein in lots of different things. There's protein in whole grains. There's protein in vegetables, um, and there's protein in beans. 
And so um, beans are a really good way to bump up your fiber while also um, decreasing your saturated fat and cholesterol. I did a poll over on Facebook this week about how many times per week you eat beans and what, if you weren't a regular bean eater, what was keeping you from doing it. And the vast majority of people told me it was because of bloating and gas. And you are not alone. I hear that a lot. And so I do have some strategies for that. So one of the reasons that that happens is because of the type of sugar that is in the bean. It's an oligosaccharide. And those do not really get digested in the small intestine. And so they kind of pass on into the large intestine and get some fermentation there, which can cause some of the gas and bloating. But some of the strategies that have been helpful are soaking you. If you're going to do dried beans, Soak those overnight and all, and actually up to 24 hours as well. And you can change the water a couple of times, as well as making sure you change the water before you cook them. So don't cook them in the soaking water. That helps to pull some of that sugar out. If you're doing a canned bean, you'll want to drain and rinse that really well. Not only does that help pull extra salt out, but it helps to get rid of some of that sugar as well. That leads to the, the gas and bloating. Uh, and then experiment with the different types of beans out there. When we look at the literature, more pe- people report more gas with things like pinto beans and navy beans and less with things like black-eyed peas and lentils. So it may be switching the type of bean you're eating. And then going slow. If you're not a regular bean eater, I'm talking add maybe two to three tablespoons of beans um, to your meal and go really slow from there. All right, we do have a caller on the line. We'll talk to Lynn from Holly Springs. Good morning. How can I help you? Hey, uh, I wanted to recommend uh, a doctor that goes, who's written some books, who goes into uh, a lot of detail about the plant biome, and he's a he's a famous heart doctor, and he's pretty much given up that practice to uh, work with people on nutrition. Uh-huh. And his name is Dr. Stephen Gundry. And he has some information that's different from a lot of uh, a lot of things you hear about plant-based diets. But uh, he's had really good luck getting people off all kinds of medicine and and curing many kinds of diseases. So I just wanted to mention him. His plant his books are called The Plant Paradox and The Longevity Paradox. Stephen Gundry and. Uh, I got tuned into him on uh, public television. Have you heard of him? I have. I have. I've been doing his diet for about a a year. You're doing well? Uh Uh-huh. Good. Excellent. It's all about finding something you can stick with. Yeah, and he's really into uh, uh, olive oil being good for your your aging. And uh, you got to... When you eat those beans, you have to pressure cook them or get the Eden brand because that gets rid of the lectins. Yep, pressure cooking does help. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. Uh And actually, Lynn brought up a great uh, tip for beans as well. So one of the reasons that canned beans can sometimes be a little less gas-producing than cooking from dried is because they have have that kind of high pressure um, treatment done to them. So if you have a pressure cooker at home or an instant pot, 
um, that can be a great way to do those beans to help um, kind of break down some of those sugars in there. And then also adding some things uh, when you're cooking. Um, kombu, which is a type of seaweed um, that is, uh, you know, used in a lot of Asian dishes. It does kind of lend, uh, lend a salty flavor to things. Um, it actually contains the enzyme, enzyme that helps break down um, those the starch in the beans that can lead to some gas and bloating. Um, some folks um, report that adding a little bit of apple cider vinegar to their beans when they're cooking also helps with that. And the, the substance that's in beans that leads to some of the gas and bloating is it's also in your cruciferous vegetables. So things like broccoli and cauliflower, um, some of your you know Brussels sprouts, and even some of your other um, greens like asparagus, those types of things. So you can consider any of those strategies that we talked about just now into that. I always add a little bit of vinegar in with my greens when I'm um, sautéing them, as well as some some um, uh, red pepper because I like things a little bit spicy. Uh, but that's kind of how I do my greens there, and it does kind of help to break them down and help with digestion a little bit there. Um, but kind of parting tips in the last couple of minutes of the show, if you're really looking for a practical way to start to eat more plants, is think about starting your day with a plant-focused meal um, and picking a whole grain, a plant-based protein, and a fruit, right? And so my favorite one is an oatmeal with some walnuts and berries. That ticks all of those boxes there. You can make your oatmeal with a plant-based milk, like an almond milk, an oat milk, soy milk. Any of those are great. Um, I personally use soy milk. It's got a little bit higher protein content and keeps me fuller for a little bit longer. Um, it has a has a good uh, consistency to it, but almond milk works fine there as well. The next uh, tip is consider making your meatless Monday an all-day thing. Once you get the hang of kind of a plant-based breakfast, look for a day of the week to add an entirely plant-based day, so breakfast, lunch, and dinner um, as, um, as, a plant, as plant-based meals. And so that can be subbing out ground beef in your tacos for black beans or subbing out ground beef or ground turkey and out of your spaghetti sauce and adding lentils in there. It can be trying tofu or tempeh in a stir fry instead of chicken. But those are all great ways to make plants the focus of your plate step by step, right? Start with one meal, then one day, and then consider expanding those days uh, to more days per week. That's how I did it. Um, and that's really what has worked for me. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel.